I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Welcome back to My Alchemical Bromance. My name is Eric Arneson, and I'm here today with the hosts of the Magician and the Fool podcast, Janice and Dominic. Hi, guys. What's up? Hey, Eric. All right. I really only have one question for you. Cool. Which one of you is the Magician, and which one is the Fool? Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to my right. chemical well, romance. <laughs> that was fun, man. Yeah, this is a yeah, great interview. Great. I mean, I, I really... There's a Let's lot of... do it again. Okay, we will. We will. This is great. Uh, all right. That's... I thought that was a super clever question. <laughs> no, no. How... Originally, yeah. I mean, if we want to get into it. Originally, uh, Janice was definitely the magician and I was the fool. But it was, uh, it was left kind of open-ended because... Uh, I, when I came up with the idea, I I thought just that those two cards were were pretty interesting as far as the interplay between them, and on a very surface level, I thought it would be kind of funny also that Janice would be the magician, I would be the fool. Uh, my idea was that um, he was more of the expert, and I was going to be kind of the the play the role of like the student, and where I would be asking questions and that kind of thing but it's evolved a little bit from there but that was kind of the original original thought and plus like you know we like everybody has both those sides in them you know any magician who doesn't admit to being a fool is uh, a pompous windbag you know like part of being a magician is understanding that the magician has two faces one is the magician is one is a fool so um, you know, I'm a total fool and half the time, and then, you know, half the time I want someday, you know, half of the time I'm hoping that someday I might be able to become a real magician. I would totally agree with that. I mean, I don't think that there's much of a point in being a magician if you already know everything, right? right. I mean, exactly. Part yeah, of doing I mean, it is exploring. Right. If you're going to be a magician, that means you have to continually be open to being the fool because it's, you know, there's always going to be new experiences that you're going to need to be open to. And if, if you're not, then you're going to stagnate. I mean, you're going to stop. You're going to come to a dead end. So you have to always have that fool mindset, I think. But then there's a, there's another side to that, which is you also always have to have the magician mindset. Like we see this in the, in the Greek magical papyri, where sometimes when you're confronting spirits or, or doing rituals, you have to like stand up there and be like, I'm the greatest thing that's ever lived. You know, I'm Solomon, king of Israel, or, or I'm Apollonius of Tiana. And, you know, listen to me, I'm super important. Like you have to, you have to kind of encompass or embody both archetypes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to be Solomon, King Solomon. Sometimes you have to be Solomon Grundy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Born on a Monday. You know I mean? yeah. <laughs> but, but the thing is, I mean, think about it. Like, uh, for instance, consider like the you know Norse in in the in the northern way and or the Norse myths. Odin and Loki are really an inseparable pair and most of the myths they travel together mm-hmm. and they have nearly identical skills and abilities. I mean yeah. they're clearly both magicians 
And, and, you know, Loki may play the fool or play the fool guy or fall guy or scapegoat, but he's essentially as much of a magician as Odin. And that goes for Coyote, the trickster, or uh, Raven. You know, these are uh, these worlds, these uh, fire bearing culture heroes are frequently uh, magicians that have a demiurgic function. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's really, I think it's more a question of mode because the magician uh, introduces order uh, into a chaotic system in order to set it into motion. And then the fool introduces chaos into an ordered system to um, cause it to continue to grow and to uh, help to avoid stagnation. So I think that there are two modalities of a functional uh, a functional uh, practitioner that, that, that are both essential. I hadn't thought of it that way, but I really, I really like that point of view. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I also like that, that comparison between like Loki and Thor, because I always think of uh, my, my favorite, my favorite story of them is uh, when they go to um, the castle of Utgard Loki, you know, where, where they have to, I love yeah, where, you know, they have the whole thing where they sneak in and Utgard Loki himself, who's not Loki, he's a bad guy. He's a, he's a trickster. <laughs> You know, he's like this giant, huge, monstrous trickster who like disguises himself as a mountain or disguises himself as like an old lady or he does all these things to sort of like fool uh, Thor and Loki. And what the heck was their their little dude, their little sidekick? Um, can't remember what his name is was. That, is that the one where Thor had to drink like an ocean's worth of beer or something crazy yeah where he drinks drink. he he has a he has a giant drinking horn and he takes a huge huge drink out of it and when he stops it's only gone down like an inch and the giants are all terrified the the Jotnar are all terrified because afterwards they're like oh that was connected to the sea and you made the sea the world round decrease by a foot <laughs> yeah and now we've got global warming we're basically undoing uh thor's <laughs> thor's draft <laughs> Well, I, I think the Thor Loki dynamic is is interesting too. For me, it's I more see Odin as a magician mm -hmm. rather than Thor. But um, I do love that story, and I also personally I think if Loki can change, he, if he can shift the shape to almost anything, and if he can become a woman, a, a female as a horse, and then, give and birth, children, yeah, then he can also be he could also bilocate. And because he's already half giant, you know, or, you know, per, in, according to some narratives, fully giant, you know, it depends on what you read. You know, Utgard Loki just means Loki of Utgard. But, Loki, um, Utgard. but didn't even, even Loki lost a contest, right? I can't remember what his contest was. Was it eating or running or something like that? Like there was a, he ended up. I believe it, I think it was maybe. It was, was it, it was eating because the whoever he was in the eating contest against ended up being uh, fire, like elemental fire disguised. Right, right, but that was also a play play on Loki's name. Really, Loki's name? Yeah, because Loki Loki's name has like there's multiple 
uh, possible etymologies, but one is fire. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, because fire consumes every fire burns. So there's a fire of inspiration of like Kanos, mm-hmm. you know. But but it can it can and then there's the fire of seagull, and fire can illuminate or inspire, but it can also burn, and so it must be controlled. They, mm-hmm. There's a stone which they believe uh, is a fire stone, like it would be put into a fire, like a hearth or fireplace, and it has like holes, I think, in the eyes and mouth, and it shows Loki bound. Oh. And so the fire in the stone would have come through the eyes and mouth, like if it was put in the hearth. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, it's really it's it's really neat. Um, but yeah, I mean, and I, so you know, and and you know, I I think maybe when I was younger, I might have just said, "Oh, I'm a magician," but now, personally, like I'm wary of calling myself anything. Um, except for maybe fools sometimes because uh, I just feel so much of, the older I get, the more of a student I feel like the more, the more I see this like wide vista of things I want to learn and learn how to do and, and know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It always makes me raise an eyebrow. I mean, I think that's the way to go, but it always makes me raise an eyebrow when you see these people speaking absolutes all the time. A lot of people mm-hmm. like to speak in absolutes nowadays. And, you know, I, as a Star Wars fan, I know that, you know, only Sith speak in absolutes. <laughs> 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 but uh, seriously, you know, when you start speaking in absolutes, you, you, ha- you definitely have to show that you, you've got some authority. You're speaking with authority and confidence. But, um, you know, you're closing a door at that point, And... I don't know. It's just an odd thing to do to see, to, to be speaking in absolutes and, and portraying yourself as someone who knows it all. And especially if you're, you know, 40 years old, 30 years old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you young people. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree. I would say uh, you should, you should try to avoid absolutes because, I mean, who the hell knows everything? Who the hell knows everything about anything? Nobody. Right. Right. But on the other side, sorry. No, please, you go. I was going to say, on the other side, you have to sometimes be able to speak authoritatively about subjects, and you can't always be kind of adding in, in my opinion, or I think. Although, yeah. you know, that would be the best way to do it. Um, I don't know. Wouldn't you? No, I guess I've always thought that um, it's, you know, an authority, it's easy to trust somebody as an authority if they're willing to admit their ignorance. If they're willing to say, like, I know this sure. thing and this thing, but about this other thing, I've got no clue. And that doesn't really provide comfort to the listener, but it definitely, I think, um, shows uh, honesty and integrity in the in the speaker. I definitely appreciate it when I when I hear that kind of talk. Well, I think it's important, and I do think it's important to speak with authority on things that you've earned authority in or have studied extensively, especially if they are meaningful to you. If they're if it's a tradition you're you're operating within in an initiatory capacity or otherwise, if it's something you've practiced 
diligently for years or studied diligently for years, you know, part of the aspect of living in the age of Mercury that we're in is as much information as there is is uh, misinformation, mm -hmm. disinformation. And there's a lot of sincere uh, people who are coming to things with pure intentions and uh, genuine interest that are very easily misguided by people who both, some, ha, I mean, half of them don't realize that they're misguided, misguided and misguiding, and the other half do and are deliberately doing so. And so it's also important to be a voice of truth in the wilderness sometimes. Because, um, you know, when you acquire power, you also are, um, are, are, given responsibility to match the power you're given. Thanks, Stanley. And knowledge, yeah, you know, and knowledge <laughs> is power and power is responsibility. Right. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that's totally true. Uh, but I think uh, there's also responsibility in the listener. As as listeners, as uh, as students. And, you know, maybe I'm talking to the audience out there, but like, I think that there's also a responsibility in those who pay attention to, you know, the talking heads or the, or whoever's out there, you know, claiming any sort of authority, you know, you need to be approaching stuff with a, with a critical eye and a critical ear, you know, don't just take anybody's word for it. Um, we have untold amounts of information available to us now, you know, do your own research, look stuff up, learn, learn things and expand your mind. Like you're not, when you when you listen to other people, you shouldn't be listening to them just to um, adopt them as an authority, but to use them as a point of research, perhaps. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't be lazy. I mean, be your own advocate. This is, uh, you know, in, in spirituality and philosophy, we're, you know, oftentimes it's said that you're training for death. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of a big deal. And you're responsible for your soul if you want to look at it that way, and do you really want to leave it up to some internet guru? Or, you know, do you want to look a little deeper? So, yeah. Well, personally, I trust Janice because he's got a cool mustache, so <laughs> if he wants to tell me stuff, I'm I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are totally outgunning me. I mean, you're both twirling those mustaches. I, I... <laughs> One of, uh, one of those things you learn at higher levels of initiation is that um, <laughs> the more you can twirl your mustache, the more, uh, you know, the, the more the, uh, the, the voice of God speaks to you in your head. Right, right. It sort of rattles kind around of in there. Building up energy there with that twisting motion. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, as soon as I get off this call, I'm going to be, I mean, I'm going to have like a million dollar sorcery course that I'm about to start. People are going to be, I'm going to be set for life. Well, I've got a million dollar and one sorcery course that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and the link is easier to type. I'm <laughs> well, just make sure you have enough workshops, mini workshops that are only $500 for 15 minutes. That'll make you an instant magician. Oh man. That's, that's a real thing. I know it's a real thing. Culture on the, uh, the... And I, I'd like, I think we should talk about that for a minute because it's a problematic culture that's developing. Um, there's these internet um, magician gurus that are really just swindling people. Um, oh, well, they provide so much content. 
you know, this is that's, this is not what magic is about. Magic is not self-help guru. Magic is not a course you take. This is not how it's done. It's the work. Yeah. And it's right. it's a it's a trouble it's a troublesome thing to uh talk about especially since we're kind of like doing podcasts and possibly right. some of these people have been guests or will be guests on our podcasts. <laughs> um and I I think about it a lot like uh there are some there's one in particular that I, I know a ton of people who sort of subscribe to their, you know, monthly thingamajig that uh it's just it's it's kind of nuts. Like I how come we aren't making money that way? <laughs> well, I, I do wanna say that in all in uh all honesty, I am definitely jealous <laughs> I am of too. the money that's coming in. I am too. But um you know uh I'm not, I'm not. I, I I would love to have that money, but um, and, you know, playing devil's advocate because I I definitely agree with you guys. Playing devil's advocate, um, perhaps there is good content. Um, I don't know. I haven't subscribed to any of that stuff, any of them. Um, but I'm open to the possibility that there is good content, and you I, know, no one's no one's forcing anyone else to to pay for anything. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the, true. The, the, you make through your free will. I think there is good content, actually. I think, um, I think that one of the things that we encounter when we when we see this like uh, intersection of the occult and capitalism is um, kind of a a change in the role that the magician um, has in society. You know, in the old days, uh, in in pre capitalist times, when we were all serfs and we were all, you know, mud farmers stuck in rural Germany or Czechoslovakia or the, you know, Northern France or whatever, uh, you know, people who, who studied the kind of stuff that we study would have been like the town wizard or the town cunning man or the town healer or diviner or whatever. And we would have been provided Um, for because we would have been, you know, part of like a social structure. And that's, that's not really around now. Well, it's around, just not in the Western world. Well, even in the Western world, you're like a Catholic priest, and you're just not... That's not cool. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you're right. It's not around in the Western world, but that's where we live. Yeah, yeah. No, I've often been lamenting... I mean, I've been taught... This is. I mean, Dominic knows I've been giving this spiel since I was a teenager. I mean, we don't have a place for the medicine man in Western culture, and so people who have a natural inclination toward that role from an early age are forced to have to find creative ways of uh, of living that role because mm-hmm. you can't there's a difference i mean i think that you can choose to become a magician mm-hmm. s- sorcerer or whatever well you know sorcerer used to really be a pejorative term but now it's become a super cool dr strange term but uh <laughs> you know it's still kind of a lame thing and kind of lame people. I'm going to open but my anyway, beer now. You mentioned uh, Doctor Strange. I think it's time to open my beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Doctor Strange. I love the character Doctor Strange. Oh, me too. Some wannabe sorcerers. So anyway, and I mean wannabe sorcerers. So, but anyway, like, um, yeah, it's just, you can, I think it's valid because that's kind of Mercury's whole thing. You know, fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. You know, I read a book, kind of a pamphlet, 
might have been more of a pamphlet at some point by by somebody who wrote under the name Magus Act, and I thought that was a good ma- magician name, Magus Act, because it was like on one hand it's like it's an injunction to act to do, and on the other hand it's it's also admitting that it's an act, but it's it's an act that like it's kind of like when you assume the god form. Right. It's very similar to acting. You know what I mean? Like anybody who's ever done any acting would be a natural at the assumption of the God form because until the God form kicks in, you know, until that divine influx occurs, you're acting the part, you know? And, and I think that some can become a magician by acting the part and they will eventually make some kind of contact with the deity or a spirit or, you know, or, or their own, weird and um become that but on the other hand you have people who are born and like robert Cochran said echoing agrippa true magicians are born not made mm-hmm. true witches are not made and i do believe that i think there's a qualitative distinction between somebody who gets into magic out of a desire for attention or money or um power which there's nothing inherently wrong with the desire for any of those things um, in themselves, but and and somebody who is born as a really a social outcast because it's inherent to the role of the magician uh, that there's a aspect of being an outsider. Yeah. And unless you've experienced that ostracism, that inherent it's a natural ostracism because it's not something where you're seeking it. It's something where you, from an early age, are pushed outside of the boundaries of the group where you're the, the, the people in the group mind, they inherently sense an otherness and you develop an awareness of that otherness as, as you age too. And it's there from an early age, that otherness is the quality that makes one a genuine shaman or magician or medicine man. Hmm. Yeah. I think I can see that. Uh, I, I'd like to actually step back a minute. Um, you guys had mentioned um, that we don't have any any Western version of uh, medicine man or shaman, and then I believe someone one of you mentioned uh, Catholicism and uh, priests, and that definitely is the Western version of a magician, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, I mean, uh, Catholicism is sort of kind of becoming cool again in the whole in the occult circles um you're seeing more occultists kind of uh turning back to catholicism mm-hmm. or because it's so accessible um and they probably grew up in it um but yeah i mean the more you look into catholicism on a on a deeper level i mean let's let's get away from the headlines and the and you know the pop culture yeah I mean, it's very magical. I mean, the practice, what you're doing in the mass is extremely uh, magical. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the big differences is um, that a, a Catholic priest's role is uh, is kind of limited, right? Like a Catholic priest is in charge of um, sort of like the health and healing of the spiritual body, but not necessarily um, physical stuff. So you won't have a Catholic priest... Um, you know, giving, you know, sacrifice to make sure that the crops are good, or you won't go to the Catholic priest if you're like, you know, I lost a thing and I need to find it, or, you know, my, 
you know, my cow broke its leg or my cow isn't giving milk. Can you fix it with a, with a magic spell right. or something? Um, you know, you, I think you had that role with like, uh, uh, like the, the Baal Shem, like the, uh, the Jewish, uh, you know, the, the village, uh, rabbi wizard, you know, might've had that, that role more, but, um, I don't know that the Catholic priest has ever really held that position. I could be wrong. I might be a fool. I think you, I think you do see that more in the Eastern churches. Uh-huh. Um, a little bit more folky stuff going on where they're maybe uh, blessing uh, houses, blessing cars, mm-hmm. uh, doing doing different rituals in rivers and, and things like that. But in Roman Catholicism, <laughs> you may not see it as much. <laughs> what, what are you doing? <coughs> Thanks, Janice. <laughs> okay, sorry. Keep, keep going, Dominic. Rivers, rivers. Yeah, something about a river. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I do think you see a little bit more, more of that folky magic, magic type stuff in the Eastern Church, um, more so than in the Roman Catholic Church that most people are familiar with. Yeah, that could be. I am. I'm really not very familiar with uh, Eastern church stuff, but I I would totally believe that. Um, yeah. Okay. Folk Catholicism, though. I mean, folk Catholicism. I mean, you do have priests doing things like that in some places. Uh huh. Um, you know, I know in Italy there's a lot there's a lot of folk Catholicism, and there are a lot of folk practices, uh, and it may not always be the priest that's doing those things, but sometimes, and historically, you also had a lot of priests who were magicians. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, of course, it's hilarious, because 10 years ago, maybe 15, if I said Trithemius, to most people who are interested in esotericism, they would have not, maybe not known who I was talking about, but now, you say Trithemius, and amazingly, tons of people know, which blows my mind, because he wasn't a popular name back in the day, but you know, he was a wizard wizard bishop. Hell yeah, you know, he was. So he's, you know, he's the most, he's the most, um, he's the most famous example. But there's also, I mean, in the northern, I was just talking about how in the northern countries, there were several uh, wizard bishops and priests, uh, and like Gottskalk was was one of them. Well, wouldn't uh, uh, Saint Cyprian be an example of that? Yeah, Cyprian. Cyprian is kind of, he's kind of a saint example of that. So the question is, is there a historical Cyprian of Antioch that actually existed? Well, maybe, maybe not. But the saint, so the saint has a, the saint spirit, that spirit has an objective existence. But mm-hmm. historically, was there an actual person? Uh, who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's definitely super popular these days. Um <clears throat> But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, I'm trying to think now I'm, I'm totally blanking on this cause I don't really think about Catholic priests very often. Um, <laughs> but I mean, Trithemius is an incredible example and he, he was, he's definitely, I think kind of an underappreciated, uh, figure in occult history. You know, he was, you know, a teacher of, uh, Paracelsus and Agrippa, uh, he was, crazy. I know it's, which is, it's, it's insane to think that, that Agrippa and Paracelsus were that closely connected, right? Like they, 
They learn from the right. same dude. And then Trithemius himself, like his most famous works have to do with uh, steganography and cryptography. Uh, but even when you look right. at those, like his uh, steganographia, um, yep. it's, uh, it looks like these demonic incantations, you know, uh, filled with barbarous names and these weird things. But then when you look at it, inside the demonic incantations are like middle German instructions for encoding secret messages in demonic incantations. It's super weird. Have you guys seen it? <laughs> I've seen, I've seen uh, pictures of the steganographia, but I've never owned a copy of it. I've got a copy of it. I'll, I'll show it to Dominic and then he'll uh, tell you about it. And you can be, you can be really, That's great. you can be jealous. <laughs> well, you know what I wonder is like, did, did Chithanius ever have a sit down conversation with, the, with uh, Paracelsus and say like, Hey man, like, listen, you really have got to stop pissing people off, or it's going to be your end. Like, I, I don't know if he did. Because, like, you know, he was famous for doing, for like, pissing people off. Mm-hmm. I think Agrippa was as well, right? Yeah, but we also have letters from Trithemius to Agrippa, and they're they're in the um, intro to three books. Which, uh, where he's basically writing to Agrippa and saying, like, don't publish this shit. Like, keep it under wraps. You know, do not. And I think he literally says something like, do not cast your pearls before swine. Like, you know, I've taught you all of this strange occult knowledge, not so that you could put it into a book. Please don't do it. And Agrippa included that at the beginning of his book. <laughs> um, which is great, right? It basically, like, Trithemius. He did such a good job, like staying under wraps. But then his, he has these two students who went on to become these famous cornerstones of of occult knowledge. It's like, yep. Which just goes to show that even the greatest magician can be a ginormous fool. There exactly. you go, bringing it all around. <laughs> okay, I gotta, I gotta ask. Like, how did you guys uh, meet each other? Like, how do you guys know each other? Um, we were both living in South Florida and, uh, yeah, we just met in high school. We ran in the same kind of circles, which were basically the outcasts, misfits, uh, like, pretty much of the, of the school. Like smoke and dope and hailing um, Satan. Yeah. The punk rockers and the goth kids and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly how we met, but we, we lived fairly close and we, uh, somehow learned that we shared this interest in the occult and <laughs> and that's what really kind of brought us together like magnets mm-hmm. um yeah we and, did a lot of stuff or we did a lot of experiments as teenagers together <laughs> not those kind of experiments i mean like <laughs> magic experiments. we're not talking about net sack <laughs> right right yeah. or not sack. yeah <laughs> But yeah, man, we were, uh, I don't know, early teens and we were, you know, whatever books we could find back then, you know, this is pre-internet, of course. And so the only access, the only stuff we had access to really, unfortunately, I mean, it was great at the time, but there was a lot of Llewellyn uh, stuff that we had access to, which, you know, yeah, take what you can get. But um, man, we were out there in the woods uh, doing all sorts of stuff uh, all you the time. Like a- we made like a mini Stonehenge out of wood, and this like a, we used to we used to like skip school 
And across from the school, there was this abandoned water treatment plant with like acres of uh, woods and plant, like woods and plain and these dried up ponds with no water and like a clay base to them. And we made this like mini like kind of Stonehenge out of like fallen uh, like trunks of branches and trees. Um, it was a weird place. There were all these like empty shells from turtles that had died, and hmm. so we were like drumming on the turtle empty turtle shells in this like constructed like wood Stonehenge that we were skipping school to go do magic in. Um, yeah, we. I mean, we. We were doing like shamanic journeying. We were invoking uh, elemental kings, uh, doing rune magic, you know, going into trance. And like one person would go into trance and then the other person would record the visions, all kinds of stuff. Wow. That's great. So, and then afterwards, you after high school, you kind of like went to different parts of the country and... Yeah, I, I moved out to uh, Pittsburgh for school. I went to I went to school out there for a little bit, and uh, Janice didn't have anything else going on, I guess. So he followed me out there, um, just because I <laughs> probably not really what happened. He was <laughs> he was probably worried about you. He's like, I better follow this guy and make sure everything's okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's the true story. Yeah, like I wanted to get out of Florida, but Dominic was like, Oh man, Pittsburgh is great. You got to come up here. It's so awesome. It's like, because we're both, our families are both from the East Coast. So we used to talk about like, you know, how it was way cooler up north when we were in Florida and stuff as kids. He's like, oh, you got to come up here. You got to come up here. It's so great. There's an occult shop. There's all this cool stuff. Really, he was actually lying and exaggerating because <laughs> he was bored. Well, got there, what is this shithole city? And like, but I was there. So, yeah, so I moved up there. And we, I mean, we had a lot of fun. Then he moved away, and I, I, uh, I got stuck here. Oh, well, sorry. It's the pits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the pits. But um, in all honesty, Pittsburgh was pretty cool uh, when you're coming from South Florida. Because, yeah, like he had mentioned, we were both from the Northeast, and we missed a lot of that Northeast, uh, you know, the food, the you know, there's a lot that you miss when you're down in Florida. A lot of people down in Florida are from somewhere else. But, uh, yeah, Pittsburgh is kind of a dump at times and in certain areas. But, uh, like you said, Janice, we did have fun. We continued our magical exploits in Pittsburgh. <laughs> and, man, it was, uh, <laughs> you know, we weren't exactly in the mi right mindset. There was a lot of dark stuff going on. <laughs> well, we were like, by this point, we were like, we were reading like you know, um, like yeah, like Kenneth Grant and uh, oh yeah, the TOS. Right, and that's... we were still into shamanistic stuff, and you know, we were we had kind of moved up into like ceremonial magic plus shamanism plus entheogens plus mm -hmm. you know, like you uh, entheogens. Yeah, entheogens. <laughs> entheogens. <laughs> Typhonian experiments. Sure. A lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. But we were, you know, we were still, we were still young. We were actually underage still. So, well, that was like the uh, the phase of your life where you were convinced that you were all magician and no fool. Right. right. Yes. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. funny, isn't it, that the fool 
almost comes after the magician. Like in terms of awareness, right? You start off you start off thinking like I'm a fool, then you jump really quickly into I'm a magician when you're really still the fool. And then by the time that you're aware that you're the fool, you're probably more of a magician than you ever were when you were certain that you were a magician but still completely a fool. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head with that. I mean, (laughs) I didn't get into some of this foolish stuff, but yeah, that was a fool period. Yeah, and there's a but the 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 difficulty of it continues because I think that once you recognize the fool element in you, you also recognize how important the fool is to growth. So sometimes you still have to be like. In oh shit, and that's the hanged man. Oh god. Okay, sorry. I just had like a tarot revelation. No, but so so eventually you have to, you know, you, you, as you gain experience and you gain, you get wiser and wiser and wiser, and you're sort of like, okay, I'm still always going to be the fool. I'm never going to be completely comfortable with all this stuff. And you get better and better at stuff, and then at some point you're like, I'm not progressing anymore. I have to do something foolish in order to get to the next step of knowledge, right? So the the hanged man is totally like realizing you got to do you got to do the fool you got to like force yourself to be a fool do something you have to yeah you have to always have that empty cup Mm -hmm. mentality i mean if your cup is full at all times you're that's it yeah it's done you've you've always got to have that that idea of being that empty cup at all times yeah and i think this aspect of the you know like there's there's always this like you know, fool, like, into dark, like, dark, dark, powerful. You know what I mean? Like, there's a fool aspect of the underworld side of things where it's attractive to the immature, the inexperienced, you know, the, oh, spooky. And that's okay if you start there. Like, J.K. Hoosmans wrote um, in the book, I think it was in Le Bas, he he wrote um, about how, in that book is about, like, you know, fin de siècle occultism, especially fin de siècle Satanism, mm-hmm. you know, like 18th, 19th century France, or 17th, it, yeah, uh, you know, and he's he said something like, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize or I didn't experience supernatural good uh, until I had gone into supernatural evil. Like, it was going into supernatural evil that brought him to awareness of the supernatural light. And I consider that how, that was the case for me too. It was like radical confrontation with genuinely cosmic evil, you could say, mm-hmm. uh, somehow broke my mind free from it. And I saw the light of the truth, of the good, the good, the beautiful, and the true. And I mean, when I say saw it, I mean it literally saw it. Mm-hmm. I saw you nodding that. a lot, Dominic. Do you agree? Oh yeah, I mean, I I know what he's talking about. He's he's kind of uh, he's not going into great detail, but um, it's reminiscent um, of the kind of the divine descent um, in order to ascend. So mm-hmm. you you know, at least in in a lot of Neoplatonic thought, you must fully descend, um, kind of like a yo-yo. So the yo-yo has to go all the way down to the bottom before it comes back up, and so. Orpheus, Orpheus had to do the same thing, right? Like he didn't, he didn't get translated into the heavens until he descended into the underworld and failed horribly. 
Right, right. So yeah, I mean that's some of those experiences experiences that you have as the fool when you're younger, going into the the kind of cool dark stuff. Um, it can be very scarring, mm-hmm. and damaging. But I think maybe as a magician, it's it's useful um, in a way so that you can, like Janice was saying, then you can ascend out of there because mm-hmm. you know you know what's down there. You've experienced it. You've lived it. And you know that's not the end-all, be-all. Well, it's sure it's scary as hell when you're there. <laughs> yeah, I I would agree. But you have to view it with equanimity. You know what I mean? Like you have to, you you learn. A, it, it teaches you a sort of non-attachment. When you even when you first just experience anything, when you first experience the reality of spirits, not the, well, I'm going to have an altar and I'm going to have these pretty things on it and I'm going to, you know, or, you know, I'm going to invoke a God and blah, blah, blah. But when you really experience some of the, these beings, when you realize that you're in this, engaged with something that is genuinely a separate intelligence than yourself. And then it just scares the shit out of you. Uh-huh. It does. Yeah. And also cuts you down to size. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> you it's know, that, it, uh, the magician fool oscillation again, isn't it? It's the, the thing where you, you get up there and you're sort of like, oh shit, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Or, yeah, that's true. or what the hell have I done? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so tell me about, um, uh, your decision to start the podcast. How, how did that come about? Whose idea was it? It was Dom's. Yeah, yeah. it was my idea. Um, we had, uh, we had, you know, throughout the years, we have continued our, I live on the West Coast now, um, but we continued, you know, our conversations and our relationship. And I was going through a, a period where I was um, uh, doing a lot of devotional stuff with Hermes. It was a, I did a particular thing where it was like 40 days. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of fasting, um, 40 days straight of, of ritual to Hermes. And during, during that time, uh, and of course Hermes is, uh, associated with communication and, you know, during a few of those episodes, a few of those rituals, I, I just got the idea of, you know, how do I, how do I transform this, this, Hermes energy into my life. How do I how do I bring this into my life? And you know, I thought maybe a book, something like that. But uh, then the idea of the pod of doing a podcast because Janice and I would talk regularly anyway, and our conversations would would sometimes just be you know an hour, two hours of just talking about esoteric stuff. So I thought, man, why don't we just record it? Mm-hmm. Let's just do a podcast, and this would be kind of a tribute to Hermes in a way, because then we would be communicating to others as well. And hopefully, uh, bring some insight, bring some kind of illumination uh, to people that maybe were in the dark about something. So that was that was the thought. But then, um, so most of your episodes, however, in fact, maybe all of them have had a guest. Yeah, and that wasn't really the plan at the beginning, which is funny. Yeah, we we started the first few episodes were just us going back and forth, um, and then we had a guest on. 
because he was very knowledgeable. We did a, a two Simon Magus episodes, and we thought, well, let's bring this guy in. He was he was a a friend, and he knows a lot about Simon Magus, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. And we just liked how it turned out, and then we thought, oh, well, let's bring this guy on, and then that led to, oh, let's bring this guy on, and yeah, it just kind of evolved that way. You've had some. So pre- we try and keep it kind of like conversations with friends, like yeah, we we keep. We we definitely aim for a deeper level when it comes to the questions we ask and the that you know the dimensions of the conversation. But we try and keep it also like friends that are hanging out with each other, and you're kind of like sitting in with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what you do too, Eric. I mean, that's that's what your podcast is kind of all all about. I try to do that. Which- I I like that. I I think that. Um... And that's something I really appreciate about your guys' podcast. Like, it feels like uh, you get into very easy conversation with your guests. And, um, you know, sometimes I think uh, it's good for... It's good to have more of a conversation than an interview. You know, um, I don't get as much out of just asking you guys questions uh, without having my feedback to them right like that makes it better yeah i i I really only had one question to ask you guys before we got into this i was like i'm just gonna (laughs) i'm just gonna start with a joke and see how it goes and (laughs) well i love it i mean i god i wish i could do that but i'm 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 kind of the opposite i've got a whole list of questions and all this stuff Mm -hmm. but um we've been also very lucky that all of our guests are talkers yeah um and that helps um all of our guests have just they're so passionate about the topics that they're specialized in that they just they just love talking about it and and that's that makes our job easier for sure. Um, it's so hard to pick even a favorite because all the interviews, all the conversations have been fantastic. I mean, we've had we just feel so honored that they even agreed to talk to us. But mm-hmm. each one has been like we end up walking away feeling like feeling like we made a new friend or deepened an existing friendship. Yeah, you know, I uh, the last uh, episode of yours, it might be your latest one, I'm not sure, uh, Marcus McCoy? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I had already downloaded it, and I was going to listen to it, and uh, a really close friend of mine texted me. He's like, hey, a good buddy of mine from high school was on this podcast. You're totally going to love it. And he sent me a link to the Marcus <laughs> McCoy episode. I was like, oh, yeah, I was just about to start listening to that. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, yeah. It's funny, too, because... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, I keep going, keep going. I was just going to say, all of our guests have almost guided uh, guided the the direction of, of my my spiritual practice as well, I mean, in different directions. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. each one of our guests has, has brought up something that was, was kind of like a light bulb going off, like, oh, my God, yes. Yeah. And I integrate that into my, into my practice. And then our next guest says something amazing and it's like oh man that's i start to steer in that direction mm-hmm. so it's it's funny how all of our interviews have have kind of flowed into each other and you know selfishly it's it's almost just an extension of my practice and and Janice's practice we are we're getting guests on that we want to talk to because we're interested in in them and and that's what kind of the what we're doing currently oh. I think. And I mean, we we venerate Hermes. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to talking about a direct contact, genuine experience, of the, I mean, you know, both Hermes, Mercurius is a he's he the god exists. 
but God lives. And it's not just an energy, it's not just a consciousness, it's a person. I mean, he's real, and he is amazing, mm-hmm. and he's great, and he's vivid, and he's fast, and he's compassionate, and um, the, the, he's really the reason all of that's happening. And um, we have personal, we've, I mean, he's, I, you know, I venerate him uh, very consistently on a regular basis. And uh, so does, you know, and Dominic does too. And I really feel like the reason, uh, the reason this is going so well, and the reason things have gone so well is really due to his influence, um, really due to his spirit uh, sort of suffusing the conversations with grace, because ultimately we, it is all, it is all in his name mm-hmm. and in his honor because he's given us so much and we're very grateful for that. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, I, you know, I guess I, I have a response to both what both of you said, like, first of all, like Dominic, when you're talking about like the podcast, almost becoming part of your practice, um, like I think that's really valuable. I think that I think that there's a couple things that are really uh, interesting about that. First of all, you're not always going to be bringing on people that you agree with, but that doesn't mean that you can't learn from them, right? And um, and I and I I've had that same experience where I've uh, interviewed folks and changed my practice after talking to them. Um, and then the other thing, like Janice, I have the same. Uh, kind of interaction with Hermes you know I you, you can see my altar in the background here like right above my <laughs> finger uh, I know there's a lot of glare but that's a um, that's a a picture of Hermes Trismegistus that was painted by a uh, a, a Russian icon painter for me probably oh, wow. like, like 10 or so years ago uh, I had a bunch of extra money. I would really like to see that. I would yeah. really like to see that. I will. Same here. I will get you guys a good picture of it. Um, it's basically like the centerpiece of my altar, and so you know, I I do this. You know, when I when I pray in the mornings, um, you know, I I pray to to you know the one beyond Hermes, but still, like there's this picture of Hermes Trismegistus staring me right in the face while I'm doing it. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think, you know, it would be interesting to see how many occult podcasters have a uh, Hermes-centric practice going on. I suspect it's a ton yeah. of them. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, it does, it does. And I mean, really, you know, isn't it, isn't it Trithemius who spoke about the, watch, there's going to be a, uh, a, a, a $250 workshop on this. <laughs> uh, after I say this, but, uh, hold on, let me take notes. <laughs> <laughs> but wasn't it Tristanius? Uh, I think it might also be in the Almadel that spoke about uh, the angels governing the world ages, and uh, currently we're in the age of Ophiel. And right, uh, and if you look at it, it makes perfect sense because during the age of Ophiel, communications technology developed at a rapid rate mm-hmm. and has exponentially increased in its complex complexity you know communication in general has spread across the world at lightning speed and then on top of that the availability of information has exploded there's also a lot of gender ambiguity where there didn't used to be um there's issues of information theft mm-hmm. uh, pirating 
these are all really um, hermetic uh, concepts. All these things, the liminality, the uh, thievery, the uh, availability of information, the explosion of interest in the occult, the communications, these are all hermetic. These are all qualities of Hermes. And we're really in the age of Hermes, of Mercury. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, really, I, I subscribe to the, I mean, I think there are multiple ages occurring at any given moment. You know, there's multiple sort of circles of overlap of different ages that are interpenetrating uh, depending on the paradigm right. that you're off within. But So we're having the, the Kali Hermes Yuga 12th world right yeah 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 exactly aquarius but we're really on that aquarius pisces transition point Mm -hmm. but mercury's exhausted Aquarius. you know so so we have and you know the 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 waves of aquarius are electrical waves they're Mm -hmm. not water no sound you know so so there's that you know uranian luciferian promethean hermetic characteristic to this age and uh which is by nature double in the same way that hermes has the celestial and chthonic aspects to him and i i just think that if you look at it that way it's kind of interesting but yeah i mean i i i didn't realize that that was an image of hermes over the altar but i'm not surprised i i you know i don't want to seem like a jesus freak even though no, I love Jesus, and I think there's no shame in that. Um, but I would also, <laughs> and I'm a freak, 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 freak. But that's a that's a Ram LZ shout out. But anyway, like, yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting because I would I would shout to the hills about how amazing Aramis is because I, I just I love him. He's incredible, and he's giving so many wonderful things in my life and he's benefited me in so many ways and he's taught me so much and I hate to sound like that because I also don't do that because of the humility aspect and also because of an unfortunate shadow of uh, modern esoteric culture and I, I think really a culture culture is an oxymoronical um, uh, term because occult means hidden and it should be done in silence and in secrecy to some degree but uh, a shadow side of it is uh, LARPing, where you have like... <laughs> I was thinking and, about and, that this morning. <laughs> yeah, and let me qualify that. If I don't mean people who just LARP, and that's cool. Like, if you're into LARPing, that's fine. Like, if that makes you happy. I mean, but like, I mean the people who like pretend they're magicians and wizards and witches. Like, really, all the Instagram witches, bar probably like three people, are really just LARPers. Oh, for you know sure, I mean? for sure. Or uh, or the YouTube witches. Right. Yeah. That, that's a, it's like an aesthetic or a lifestyle, you know, where you you set up um, photo shoots and you... Yeah, I, I... But at the same time... I know, I hate to be the positive one here, but uh, at the same time, that, you know, we all go through those phases that are immature and uh, foolish mm-hmm. and faulty. And, you know, maybe, just maybe, uh, some of those YouTube LARPing witches will, you know, 
maybe that will lead into something bigger and better. Some I mean, of them we can only hope. Some of them definitely will, right? Like there's always going to be, you know, somebody will always sort of come out of it and be like, "Oh shit, I just realized something," and they will go on to do something bigger, bigger and better. And I guess you know, it's you know, we we grew up in a in a time where we didn't have the ability to um, expose ourselves to the entire world that way. But we might have right. if we'd had the yeah. if we'd had the opportunity. Yeah, it's very possible. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of it this way too. Like, what's okay? So this is creating a culture. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, what, what what is a culture? What is a, what is a culture in the scientific sense? A culture, things are grown within a culture. Yeah. You know, so a rich culture or saturated culture is is a is a firm. It's a really um, useful is a really useful uh, substance to grow things from. So yes, uh, you're going to have more el- elementary aspects in a saturated culture, but you also have more potential for complexity and development and evolution within a culture that has many elements and is hypersaturated. Whereas a sparse culture with very little with very little, it's harder to grow something within that, within a like laboratory, within a chemical sense of culture. And I, I usually think of culture as like, you know, or like a ferment, you know, you need those basic elements in the ferment to, to initiate that fermentation. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting thought. And uh, yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like nowadays. Like I said earlier, when we were growing up, we all we had was the bookstore. <clears throat> And whatever the bookstore had on hand, that's what you get, um, or the library, I guess. But um, nowadays, man, I I have the whole all of the Gnostic Gospels at my fingertips. I have, you know, pretty much anything I want at my fingertips on on the internet, and I can't even imagine having that when I was when I was younger in our in my teens. Mm-hmm. And uh, the blessing and a curse, maybe I don't know. I mean, it was probably good for us to have a sparse amount of material available because it really forced us to dig and work. Uh, but at the same time, uh, there's probably more, more chances to go off track because you didn't, you didn't know, you just don't know what you don't know. And nowadays you pretty much can know whatever you want at any time. You can also uh, easily know what you don't know at any time with a Google search and just feel like, <laughs> right. like, holy shit, there's a lot of stuff to read about this. <laughs> Right. Well, you know, it also is like where part of what where you part of what helps you to get to that point where you experience something genuine or where you make something genuine happen is kind of this extreme attitude of like pushing yourself and pushing yourself mm-hmm. of extreme experimentation of diligence and like keeping trying something. It reminds me like of the <clears throat> there used to be this in the late 90s really mid from the maybe early mid nineties to the early two thousands, there was this interesting culture, which was like, I don't know if it was overseas as much as in America, but there was this culture where it was like post industrial music, temple of psychic youth, Mm -hmm. chaos magic. You know, uh, there were people that were kind of like itinerant, you know, would travel around mm-hmm. uh, bands like Crash Worship, you know, Crash Worship, Zev, um, you know, just even Psychic TV, if you want to name a more like well-known version. Like, I think that was the 80s. Whole, 
Well, yeah, well, eighties into the nineties, but mm-hmm. in the nineties, it took, it took, it, it started becoming even more cohesive. This culture, and uh, you know, I was also kind of active within that culture uh, in my late teens, and knew a lot of people in it, and met some really cool people. Like, um, you know, we all know, uh, we know, we all know Arun or Zygote. And, um, Wait, you know, you know Arun somebody... also? Yeah. How does everybody I know Arun? <laughs> <laughs> He's an awesome dude. <laughs> He's a great person. I met him and I met him and his uh, at the time roommate Joel back in '97, and we did magic together, and you know, and had long conversations about magic and burrows mm-hmm. and all this different, you know, be poetry, chaos magic tribalism, uh, post-industrial music, all this. It was like a kind of an egregore at the time. Topi, Temple of... I mean, Arun in 1997 was, he was printing out, he worked at Kinko's and was like secretly printing off like the Grey Book <laughs> and like, like in the middle of the night and like distributing it. Like that's... I love he's that. He's always been hard. Yeah, he's amazing. Have you guys had but him on like, your podcast yet? No, but we're going to. Uh, maybe we should have a race. Out. <laughs> you, you, you up for a for a challenge? <laughs> oh. We might have a leg up on us, so it's very important. Well, Dom's in Portland. Oh yeah, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it'd be great if both of us had us had him on the podcast because he is just such a fountain of knowledge. I mean, he's 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 the real deal. I mean, he's been doing this. For decades, and he he really goes all out. 100%. I've been doing this. For, okay, yeah, let's let's do a let's do a crossover episode, right? <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah, and he's a perfect example of a magician. Magician, like he's totally, you know, he's not an internet. He's not an internet celebrity. No, he doesn't have. He's not a blog magic blog magician. He he, but he's out there in the trenches doing magic every single fucking day. Oh yeah. And he's way into, like, he's way into, like, Greek magical papyri stuff, and he's doing stuff where, you know, he tells me about it, and I'm just sort of like, oh, shit, I should have been doing that, like, a year ago. Why am I such a slacker? <laughs> well, uh, you know, it's great motivation to have a friend like that. I mean, he motivates me. When I when I read some of the stuff that he's doing, it's like, oh, man, I need to, I need to pick it up. I need to yeah. turn it up a notch. Yeah, I get that same feeling from him, but, you know... But that's what you have to be with magic. You have to be like obsessive. You have to be like incessant. You have to be just constantly experimenting, constantly trying, constantly doing. And for me, being this like kid who was really like besides Dominic and my friend Jamie Dunkel, who is also a pretty amazing magician, um, who also knows him, lives in Portland. Uh, you know, besides them though, who were both podcast. on different sides of the country at that point. Um, like I didn't really know anybody in, in where I was living. So I went, you know, so at the time I went from Florida to Portland, I think it was like 16. And, um, you know, so to meet these people that were into magic and were as passionate about it as I, I was, you know, this is pre-internet age, mm-hmm. really. I mean, the internet was there, but it was, it was really like a dinosaur at the time. So, <clears throat> It was really inspiring, and now I think it's really good that kids who have that natural impulse can find people not only in their city but all over the world who they can talk to 
and learn stuff from. So the positive side of it is, yeah, you can, there's a lot of opportunity for growth. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to young people or even not so young people who are just admitting to themselves or feeling like it's okay to be interested in these things. Um, because you know what else it means? The, with the interest comes the money. And that means funding for people translating old texts. That means money for really talented people to publish books that really should be out there to counter the, uh, you know, airy fairy stuff. Um, you know, it means, it means resources that are now available, which means the potential of an actual evolution mm -hmm. of ideas, practices. And it's great. I mean, look at this. I mean, I have a love hate relationship with the internet and every day I think about how I might just unplug from all of it, but um, it's still pretty cool that you can get on a discussion group about a totally specific magical topic with people that are passionate about it mm -hmm. and everybody's trying these things and inspiring each other, you know, like that's cool. I wish I had had that when I was 16. Yeah, and let's also, I mean, I feel like after all of our disparaging comments at the beginning of the conversation, we should point out that it is okay to give magicians money. Oh, yeah. Right, yeah. like, I mean, you know, buying buying an internet course uh, is, is way different than, like, funding somebody's research. Um, you know, sometimes you can you can help... Uh, a fellow magician or a way nerdier magician like dig into stuff that you don't have time to understand or or help translate something that you can't do like there's a there's a dude on uh patreon who's working on translating uh uh abraham abulafia's um stuff and as he goes through it he's like you know i you know i don't have money to do this on my own if you fund me i'll give you these meditations as i translate them and it's like that's that's fucking awesome. Yeah. Yes. Um. So I do think there's definitely there's definitely a positive side. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Because you know, uh, why shouldn't you pay somebody who's say, like you said, translating something that you actually need or want, mm -hmm. or you know, who's doing work that you're going to benefit from? Yeah. That's an entirely, you know, that's an entirely, and you know what? The fact is, I mean, I'm not going to name names here. Yeah, but don't name names. Um, <laughs> those of us who those of us who are around yes. know the names. <laughs> but you know that's the side of Hermes too. Yeah, hustlers. It is. You it know, is. hustlers. Hustlers. Uh, you know, money money hustlers, magicians who are money hustlers. You know, it's kind of like the profit, true profits versus false profits. Mm -hmm. The two sides of Mercury. I mean. And I'm not saying that those things are created by Mercury, but they're part of the paradigm. Every For every genuine person you have, you're going to have five imitators. And it's, up to, it's part of the transition of the um, Royal Road of the Tarot is the development from starting off as the fool and then moving through the degrees of, of development. I mean, really, you have those three magicians in the Tarot. You have... Besides the fool who's outside of the sequence, you have the magician, but then you have the hermit, and, then, and you also have the hierophant. And really all three of them are the three magi. You know what I mean? Yeah. Typically speaking. Maybe. 
I don't know that it's necessarily limited to that, though. I think that, uh, you know, all three of those are kind of in the in the lower half of the tarot. You know, the hermit is, what, nine, ten? Yeah. Yeah. But even past that, like, you have... You have development that that involves a lot of individuality and change and stuff. You know, I mean, the the hierophant, I think in particular, doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot without being balanced by the high priestess, where they both are sort of like gatekeepers, just to different realms of knowledge. But then, when you get above, when you get above into like the the, the the gnarly tarot you know the gnarly major arcana like the the hanged man is totally a magician um death loaded, yeah. death is totally or not death well maybe death is a magician too but like the devil is absolutely a magician because the devil is totally about like the the material bindings like when you suddenly discover the fact that you can affect the material world how do you not get stuck in the in the devil card like the the magician is uh is wait is manifold does manifold mean what i think it means i'm going to say <laughs> <laughs> uh multifaceted <laughs> wait does manifold mean what i think i'm going to have to look that up <laughs> yeah yeah you're right you're right <laughs> well the devil is a mask that the magician can wear the yeah. thing is those are all masks each each character of the tarot is, is a mask of, of that the magician should be able to wear mm-hmm. but I do think in terms of developmental phases the hierophant, the hermit and the magician um, are all like points on the journey specifically related to the development of esoteric um, qualities I think if, if a person if a magician is able to pass through each one of those roles mm-hmm. and learn them they become very well rounded because one relates to the individual magician in an active way. The other relates to um, the magician's relationship with the divine. Mm-hmm. Whether that's whether that's mon, you know, whether we, you know, polytheistic or monotheistic is sort of irrelevant. It's the relationship with the divine in the hierophant, and also the magician as teacher, I guess you could say. And then the hermit, of course, is the magician as the hermit or monk or mystic mm-hmm. who's withdrawn from the world. I mean, you see the you see in the story of Jesus and in the story of the Buddha uh, or Shakyamuni, Shakyamuni Buddha, I should say, the same, the same, those three milestones there. And they're they're I think they're important because whereas the magician is totally active, the hermit is 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 in a totally inactive state. Is withdrawn. Yeah, the hermit isn't even really receptive, right? Like the hermit is just cut off. Perhaps. Is that how you would Oh no. Personally <laughs> I think the hermit is very receptive and that's why they become a hermit is to they withdraw from the external influences of society and culture and go out into the wilderness. I read a great biography uh on a t- to tie a Kamatan, a Biku monk, a, a forest monk. They're basically hermits that live in the rainforest. Mm-hmm. And his name was Acharya Moon. And Acharya Moon, I mean, he meditated so hardcore, his teeth fell out. He had no flesh <laughs> on his body. But in his, yeah, I mean, he was extremely ascetic. 
but his biography is incredible. And he talks about interacting with like Jin, I mean, with Nagas rather, talking, you know, communicating with animals, interacting with the dead. And he's talking about these things in this totally matter of fact way, you know? So he's, he was a complete hermit. He lived in a cave. He completely avoided people whenever he could in every way that he could, but he's sitting there, he's interacting with spirits. He's interacting with animals. He's interacting with the dead. He's, you know, he's having these essential magical experiences that you can only have when you go out into the wilderness and you abandon. And that's that otherness that I think is necessary. And if you look at the Hierophant, he's almost uh, the counterpoint to that because the Hierophant is really, really engaged and really involved with others. And then the magician is kind of somewhere in between. I guess I always I mean, you can you can see that. Oh, sorry. No, no, go, Don. I mean, you you can see that. I mean, Jesus in the wilderness for forty days. Mm-hmm. Um, he was definitely the hermit at that point, and that was maybe a period of kenosis where he was just receiving. And then later, when he emerged from the wilderness, is when he maybe changed from the hermit to. Maybe not quite. Maybe the magician at that point, and then later from there, maybe moved on to the the hierophant. Hmm. So it might also be a progression of of of, of yourself as well. I guess uh, I would think that, like, so you're right about the hierophant being receptive, but the hierophant is more, or I'm sorry, the hermit being receptive, but the hermit is like receptive to divine influence and not worldly influence. Whereas the Hierophant, I think, acts as a gatekeeper between the material and the divine, or the material and the non-material. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, I, I, oh, I think. Oh, yeah, I think that's true. All right, because you, can, you can't, you can't nod on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, kind of a responsibility of of a magician, even, even if it's just a responsibility to yourself is to move beyond being the hermit and engage in the world. Uh-huh. You know, you have to use the lessons you've learned maybe as the hermit and, uh, bring them into your worldly practice. Like maybe in the Lord's prayer, you see, um, uh, basically as above, so below, you have to embody the lessons that you've learned as maybe the hermit. Um, and, and maybe it's not always about you and you're bringing those lessons to other people at this point. Yeah. And that's maybe where the Hierophant is. Yeah. I think the aspect of what the Hierophant that I want to get out there real quickly too is that they're a custodian of tradition. You know, the magician is free to act as he wills, as he chooses, but the Hierophant is is holding something sacred with them. They're, they're, they're keeping something sacred and so I think there's a lot of hierophant hate out there. Oh, he's patriarchy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but like, it's not really, that's not really the hierophant. You know, every, every card has a shadow side, but mm-hmm. really the hierophant is, um, he's holding like the high priestess. He's kind of, he, yes, he's gatekeeping, but he's also the custodian of something very sacred. Yeah. Contact with the, the divine. And so their cons- the conservatism of the Hierophant is a necessity because they're preserving things that have been handed down from antiquity. And so there's a sense of responsibility that ends up being on the shoulders of the Hierophant where there's a sense of 
you know, the freedom to be irresponsible with the magician. Mm-hmm. And, and sort of, you could almost see any responsibility in the hermit, too, because they're like, fuck this. I'm getting out of here. I'm done with this bullshit. You know what I mean? I'm getting away from everyone and everything. I'm going to go hang out, realize the monad. <laughs> where, where do I sign up? <laughs> I ask myself that every day. Step one: never ever move to a city. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, uh, it's been uh, it's been a pleasure to finally get to talk to both of you. Um, Thanks for your patience. I, I tried really hard to sabotage this. You but did, but. You know, you can't you can't sabotage another fool. <laughs> um, but uh, can you uh, can you tell the audience a little bit about your podcast and where to find it and stuff, or where do you find you guys? If there's anything you want them to know about, yeah, sure. And and again, just thank you, Eric. Um, it's fun talking to you. I feel like we yeah, it was a great conversation. As far as as far as finding us, though, um, Facebook's definitely the easiest place if people want to contact us or look at what we're doing. We post our episodes on Facebook. But it's the uh, Magician and the Fool, Magician and the Fool podcast, maybe that's what it's called. And uh, we also have a web web uh, website, themagicianandthefool.podbean.com. Okay, great. We're on Stitcher, um, you know, probably iTunes. Uh, Google. Apple Play. Yeah. <laughs> All the usual places. YouTube, yep. Also, uh, we, all, we also uh, participate in a group called the Hermetic Federation. And the aim of the Hermetic Federation is uh, the, the, the exploration and transmitting and uh, practice of traditional hermetism. And I know that's something that is uh, also, also important to you. I would really like it if you wanted to start. I mean, it'd be awesome. I would love to yeah, start a lodge in Portland. I think that'd be great. And um, oh, really? You know, okay. mostly uh, the most uh, hermetic thing that that I've got. Well, so I mean, my Masonic lodge is is very esoteric, but also uh, probably aside from that, uh, brunch. You know, which is a Portland tradition, but but our brunches in particular are especially weird. Well, I mean, lunch is a tradition everywhere. A brunch is a tradition in every city. Yeah, but Portland's brunches are Portland, special. Portland takes it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're right. I forgot about that. I lived in Portland, by the way. That's yeah. Well, come out. Come out. Come back. Well, I would love to Thank you for listening to My Alchemical Bromance. You can find us on the web at myalchemicalbromance.com. You can find us on Stitcher and iTunes and YouTube and uh, maybe Spotify. You can support us if you'd like to. In fact, we would love for you to support us through the Arnomancy Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes or on the website. It's patreon.com slash Arnomancy for just a buck a month. Uh, Tune in next time and see you soon.